My goodness. <laughs> what a weekend. Uh, it's still going. Uh, hey, everyone. This is Stephen L. Miller. Uh, I'm Red Steve's on Twitter. This is episode 21 of the Washington Post Elementary School. Oh, boy. Um, gosh, where to start? Uh, just a couple of things right up front. Uh, I'm going to have a pretty much a hard out here in an hour. Uh, I'll try to get through as many callers as possible. Uh, I try to do that um, when I do these, and we, we end up going forever and ever. Um, but uh, I'm going to pretty much have a hard out here at 7 p.m. Eastern, and so I'll try to get people in, and uh, if not, you guys can always rejoin uh, later uh, when we have kind of more time and a more open topic. Um, if you If you haven't heard the news, if you're not part of the Twitter sphere, or whatever, Washington Post has suspended Dave Weigel um, over the retweet of what they call a sexist joke from a podcaster. This saga is going on, I think, day four now. Um, <laughs> I'm going to try to make this episode just not an hour of me uh, laughing to myself incessantly, which I've been doing a lot of over the last three or four days. Um, that is, of course, separate this whole drama with Weigel and Felicia Samnez and uh, Jose Del Real and all of this is kind of separate and not as serious as we have another Taylor Lorenz drama at the Washington Post. And I kind of wanted to focus on this more. I will be writing about both uh, Weigel and um, Lorenz tomorrow at separate places so you can tune in and read those. Um my oh my, uh, Taylor Lorenz once again has managed to make herself the story uh, in light of more sloppy reporting, which is what we talked about when Nina Jankowicz was left her position and basically fed Lorenz a, a sympathetic story and Lorenz made all these broad accusations and uh, wasn't asked to specify. Well, now uh, in any journalistic outlet worth their reputation, uh, they have kind of an actual scandal. I don't think the Dave Weigel stuff is an actual scandal. Uh, you have Lorenz caught fabricating parts of a story. And for those of you, again, who aren't really in the know, I'm going to be kind of, in the interest of time, generalizing some things. I'm not going to go and do some real deep specifics of this. Um, Lorenz wrote a story for the Washington Post last week, uh, post-Amber Heard-Johnny Depp verdict, uh, in which we saw, for the most part, Johnny Depp came out on top of that. He was awarded $13 million in damages. Amber Heard was awarded $2 million. I don't know how that all works. Um, but Lorenz wrote a story about kind of how YouTube influencers around this trial were just kind of going fast and loose, and they were just taking sides, and there wasn't, you know, the whole thing of gatekeeping. This is why reporters are important, so there's context added and this stuff. And in the story, she had reported that she had reached out to two of these influencers for comment. Um, one was called that umbrella guy and I forget the other one. I don't know. Um, and as it turns out, both of them posted on Twitter that Taylor Lorenz did not in fact reach out for comment. And this is of course in her, in her world as it's being defended is just a normal thing that was a mix up with an editor. Well, it's not, it's when you publish in journalism, when you publish it, uh, you reach out for a comment, um, it's a big deal because normally as it was written in the Washington post, it was neither of them responded to comments. Well, that generally carries a negative connotation 
in in the world of journalism. If if somebody if a reporter writes, uh, we tried to reach out, but they said they couldn't. They were unresponsive for comment. It's generally pointed as they didn't want to get their side out. In which case, I can frame the story any way I want. So what we learned from both YouTubers is that she did not reach out to them for comment, despite publishing that she did. So that is kind of an outright fabrication. Um, they even they did post also. Uh, a message is where Lorenz reached out after publishing. Well, again, that's not how it works. That's not how it works at any um, journalistic outlet. And, and for someone who has been part of this world for a while, I'm not a journalist. That is a smear and a slur, and I will not tolerate it. Um, but for someone who works in this industry, when I write a piece, and if I need someone, or if I have, if I have to, you know, write what I think is going on, I have to be able to validate that. I have to be able to source it. I have to be able to link it. If I do write a piece that you know is usually about someone, it's generally standard practice that you do reach out for a comment. Uh, a two corrections later, once these YouTubers saw this and posted that Lorenz did not contact them, the Washington Post issued a correction, but did not issue the correction on the P on that specific line itself. That line was then stealth edited. Um, when asked who stealth edited by Paul Wilson from Fox News, the Post ref- refused to answer. They said, we don't disclose internal editorial decisions or whatever. Long story short, we're now up to three corrections that are almost as long as the story itself. And this is just basic, unethical, shoddy journalism. And uh, it's ironic to me that Dave Weigel, who's, forget your opinion on him, um, everyone knows mine is not favorable, certainly, um, is a nationally known reporter. He's been with The Post two times now, and once after being fired for journalist. Um has been let, has been suspended without pay for a month for a retweet. Um, their star tech reporter is fabricating parts of her stories, and I see I see people like uh, like Glenn Greenwald saying it's you know she's lying. Well, no, there's a difference when a journalist is lying. The journalist is fabricating. Um, she's fabricating parts of her stories, and I think that this happens with almost every single story she writes. So at what point have we decided, I guess the Washington Post has decided, is, is enough enough? And as we've seen, um, as, you know, as I can scroll through Twitter feeds of people and what we learned is, you know, fabricating things and stories, um, harassing people at home, sending internet mobs after people with like names, as we saw with libs of TikTok. These are all acceptable acceptable practices. I think it was A.G. Hamilton on Twitter says, leaking emails from your boss, this is going over to Felicia Sumnez, leaking emails from your boss, okay, Public, publicly smearing colleagues as sexist, okay, getting others to harass colleagues, okay, filing basis lawsuits against your employer, okay, lying about contacting subjects for an article, okay, uh, retweeting a silly joke, that's a suspension. Um, so I don't know what the hell is going on at the Washington Post. As I, as I noted in the title, it's elementary school. It's being run like a liberal arts college campus. And this whole episode this weekend, both with how Lorenz deflected and defended uh, her shoddy reporting, which to me is a fireball offense. If you're fabricating in a story quotes, or if you're fabricating that you reached out for some, to speak with someone, and then you didn't actually do it. And there's a process here that seems, you know, everything else is noise. We can talk about Lorenz talking about how she's unsafe or, you know, people are harassing her again or whatever. 
But everything is noise that gets back to the fact that she put in print that she reached out to speak to someone and didn't actually do that. And I had somebody ask what I think happened. And I said, I think she just put that line in there, thought nobody would miss, nobody would see it because she's a sloppy journalist. Nobody would pick up on it. Nobody would read it. And it turns out, oops, they did. She then reached out for comment saying, hey, right now we have you in the story. Um, her editor said, what is going on here with this? And she's, oh, you know, I, I did or I didn't. And then whatever. And now, now her editors are in cleanup mode as well as Lorenz pointing the finger at her editor for this. She's saying it was a miscommunication. She was saying it was the editor who put that line in there. Well, another basic rule of journalism for anyone who doesn't already know is whatever is published under your name is your responsibility. We saw this with Andrew Kaczynski in the uh, CNN piece threatening to dox somebody who made a gif when they said this person has promised to basically reform their ways and if not, we reserve the right to publish their identity. Well, that's blackmail, that's extortion. And Kaczynski, in an effort to deflect blame, stated that that was legal who put that in there. He didn't do that. Well, it doesn't fucking matter. Uh, if you are in journalism or if you in media and you publish anything online, whatever is under your name, uh, you have to defend once it's published or not defend it. And so we have something that is a silly internet scandal. Um, although I would argue this is going to have far, unfortunately, far more reaching consequences. And on the other hand, you have an actual journalistic scandal. And I can tell you that the Washington Post is more than happy to have all of the Twitterati focusing on uh, Felicia Samnez and Dave Weigel and uh, his suspension. They don't want actual reporters, actual journalists going, hey, wait a second. How is it that you have a reporter who's getting away with fabricating quotes or fabricating the fact that they reached out to speak to someone? This isn't like getting a fact wrong. This isn't like you you misstated tax policy or you got a figure wrong. That that happens all the time, and those corrections are kind of issued. She's literally lying and fabricating that she reached out to speak with a subject in her story. It means she's not interested in hearing their side of the story. And so that's what I think happened. I think she just slipped it in there. She didn't actually reach out to them. She thought no one would notice. Oops, people noticed. And the Washington Post has now been forced to issue three corrections as opposed to maybe, I don't know, just terminating this person. I saw a great tweet by uh, Joe Simonson from Free Beacon that said, every one of her editors and employers along the way have made the collective decision that this is all worth it. And uh, you have me stumped if you can tell me why, you know, going to bat for a 52-year-old Internet reporter is the smart play here. Um, what we're seeing along the lines with Lorenz and also Somnez is that inmates are running the asylum over at the Washington Post. And like I said, it's I'm sitting here gobsmacked at what the hell is going on over there. This is a newspaper that, you know, essentially took down a president, whether or not you agree with that or not. And ever since has inspired generations of people to tr try and do just that thing, unless it's Bill Clinton. And so you now have what is, I guess, a legacy, proud establishment newspaper is now being run like a liberal arts college campus. Um, so that's kind of the rundown. And I know I put in uh, I, I put in the description here on how you guys would handle this. <laughs> Maybe just offer a spanking or two. I don't know. Um, but this is this is a peek behind the curtain of again. 
uh, an industry that is very much locked down. You know, what journalists think about each other or what they think about their colleagues is always kind of buried in private and in Slack channels because they don't want this stuff getting out. When you're a journalistic institution, you must be united as one against, you know, the political right or as we've seen uh, the previous president. And so one of the reasons I, I don't think you see action taken against Lorenz is because that would be a, the Washington Post views that as a, as a scalp for the political right who don't like her. Um, except we're also learning very much by the kind of lack of defense uh, from her colleagues, in particular her former colleagues at the New York Times this past weekend. It doesn't really seem to be the case that she has too many of those kinds of allies. Um, which kind of makes this whole thing playing out with Somnes and Weigel uh, in public just even the more just, again, eye-opening. Um, I've always said that politics and journalism is Hollywood for ugly people. Not a lot of these people, I think, actually like each other. And now you have a generation of journalists, I think it was Comfortably Smug, who said journalists used to be kind of like 40-year-old overweight dudes smoking and drinking coffee and, you know, actually hunting down leads and whatever – and now, thanks to the kind of buzzfeedification of online journalism, they're all 20-something uh, millennials or Zoomers now who are all trying to out-marginalize each other uh, at their jobs. And it's it, like I said, you really do get an inmates running the asylum thing. So that's all the happenings. It's been fun. I'm not going to lie. I've, I've been just sitting here just gobsmacked at all of this stuff coming out. Um, as far as Dave Weigel is concerned, this is someone who um, I don't think needs defending. I think you can you can admonish the, the Washington Post for their action, but um, for someone who uh, has made conservatives his target nemesis for the last ten to fifteen years, um, I don't know. Dave, enjoy the culture you've created. I guess that's all I would have to say to that. Um, he's someone who also has made fun of cancel culture in the past and basically said it doesn't exist. And, well, now guess what? He has a month to think about all of that if he doesn't end up at the real Daily Wire. So um, I guess I'll take calls if you guys have questions or comments for me or what you think about all of this ridiculous summer camp drama playing out at one of what is supposedly one of the premier news institutions in the country. I guess I look at this and I say, uh, I don't know how I'm supposed to trust anything that comes out of the Washington Post. I don't understand how they think their journalism is credible when all of this is playing out in real time, and it's clearly their newsroom is run by children. Um, so those are some opening thoughts on all of this. Uh, I'm, I'm eager to hear yours. Uh, we'll go for about 45 minutes here uh, on calls, so please uh, just note I have about 10 right now. Keep your points short. Keep it quick. Um, just know that there's people coming up behind you who, who also want to have their say on this fun stuff. And I guess we'll just dive in. Andrew, give me your opinion on all the shenanigans we saw happening at the Washington Post this weekend. Stephen, if you had to describe your face as a meme, is it ha 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 yes, sicko uh, as a sicko, or is it as a Elmo looking? It's at definitely, it's definitely, it's definitely pressed up against the glass in sicko's mode. Um, these people, these, sure people, these people have, have, uh, gotten everything that they deserve. I noted with Felicia Somnes, and for those of you who don't know her story real fast, Andrew, uh, she, when Kobe Bryant died, she, she made a note of saying accused rapist, like right, like 10 minutes after the helicopter hit the mountain. And she, she, she incurred the wrath of great many of people to the point where Washington Post, I guess, didn't suspend her, but limited her social media activity. She then leaked 
company emails regarding this to, I think it was Daily Beast. It might have been one of those or Jezebel or something. Um, she also filed when she was taken off the sexual assault beat, I guess. She, her, she herself claims to be a victim of sexual assault. And I have no reason to, to not believe that. Me too. Um, she filed a discrimination lawsuit against the Washington Post. Well, they, they kept her employed. She lost that lawsuit and she is currently still on appeal. And I just noted on Twitter about an hour ago, I, I think that that has a large part to do in the fact that Somnes can go on Twitter and uh, harass two colleagues, one that stuck up for Weigel, and then um, he had a mob after him, and Somnes called him out, and she's called out the executive editor and the national editors. She's just yelling at everybody. She's screaming hysterically at anyone who will listen to her over, mind you, a retweet. It wasn't even an original tweet from Dave because he has very, very few original material. Um, but I guess this is also what Dave Weigel gets for trying to blend in with the Chapo bros. I mean, this is okay, you, this is your workplace, you deserve this. Um, but I think Somnes is coming from a place of invincibility. If she is if she is disciplined over you know, her public behavior towards her colleagues or, again, her editors or her employer, um, that's going to look like retribution. Um, and that's something she can use, her legal team can use, in appeal and say, see, she's, she's the target of a, a harassment campaign by the Washington Post, and this is part of our lawsuit. And I think that that has everything to do with kind of her brazen, just, you know, guns out behavior over a retweet. So sorry, sorry about that, Andrew, but go ahead. Uh, my face is clear is, is pressed up against the glass sicko style over this. This is this weekend has been a dream for someone like me. Okay, well, um, I'm glad you've been been enjoying yourself, Sicko, and I hope you have a great rest of the night. And I hope, and I'll let everyone get a, a chance to start. <laughs> <laughs> it's a good question. Uh, I am not short of material this weekend. Uh, John, you're up. Uh, give me your thoughts on any of the Washington Post shenanigans, cancel culture. Are, are you sympathetic to Dave Weigel? Uh, do you not care? Do you think they deserve this? What? Um, I'm I'm sympathetic to Dave Weigel only for the fact that he basically got his life ruined for the first entertaining thing he's ever done on Twitter. So <laughs> that that's kind of where I sit on that situation. A, it, it was seems a good like joke. It's a funny joke. Yeah, yeah. Like, it, like I I don't think his coworkers had to go so far to prove the former for that, but uh, like it, it was a funny joke. I I chuckled and like I I, I can't get over all the articles like from CNN and stuff where it's just his face, this big mustachioed man and imagining him looking down on his phone saying, ha ha, that's true. Retweeting that then boom, life over because the lady who sued WAPO is on another mission. So I, 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 I don't know what you can do to fix the newsroom. I had a family member that was in local media and local media is just dead. Uh, like, all, like you said, like the newsroom used to be 40 year old, 50 year old guys, just, Tough or not tough? That's wow, that's sexist. Not describe a journalist, but it, the sexist it, like, guys, guys, really, no women. Oh yeah, really? I'm sorry. I, luckily, I don't work at Washington Post, so I can still say what I want for now. But uh, like, it, it used to be just these gruff old guys that hated the world, hated everything, breaking stories, and now like the new, morning news anchors in Chicago make thirty k a year. Like, it, like it's it's a pittance. You can't get anyone that isn't a trust fund kid to. Uh, go into this basically. That's why you have a woman who went to Swiss boarding school just dictating the national conversation like this. So also, I, I think it's somebody somebody mentioned uh, the the irony of 
a privileged, I think, Harvard white woman going after uh, the only gay Hispanic uh, reporter in Jose Del Rio at the Washington Post. And this is where they just box themselves into many levels of what they call marginalization. Everybody is now uh, victim currency. And it's all elbowing in to get their own personal grudge in uh, when these opportunities present themselves. Oh, yeah. it's. I, I'm just glad we all learned that uh, white women with trust funds are more oppressed than our Latinx brothers and sisters, especially if they're uh, working in the media. But uh, not, not to derail the conversation, this is what I kind of wanted to ask sort of on uh, the topic of onanistic trust fund kids uh, <laughs> destroying the world. Uh, I, I basically work in renewable energy and I, I've been losing my mind about these solar tariff stuffs. Basically for those not following it, uh, the entire industry was about to collapse in on itself. And, uh, unless Joe Biden said, uh, Chinese slave labor is good. Then like there, there were hundreds of solar projects that were just not going to be built. And instead of just doing that, he also, enacted the Defense Production Act, which is basically seizing the means of our lack of domestic production for solar. So I, I know you've been following the climate lockdowns closely, and I'm very worried this is about to come up with the thing. So you can tell me to screw off if uh, I know we have a lot of other people, but I'd no. love to keep your take on that. Yeah, I want to see, I mean, um, a guy who's a, uh, I think, take a con named Matt Stoller, who is a far, he's a far left guy, he's a Bernie Sanders supporter. Uh, called this unconstitutional um, and, and genuinely something that's illegal. This, this calling the Defense of Production Act uh, in, into play for solar panels from China. Um, it, this is why people were concerned when you know there were calls to do this, even with Trump and people on the right and uh, people myself are like, well, if you do this, this is going to open the door for almost unparalleled executive power in the future. And sure enough, here we are. You have Biden. Uh, claiming to use the Defense Production Act for what he says is an emergency, which is the only time you can declare it. And now he's doing it for solar panel imports and solar panel projects. And I guess that this is the solution for getting $8 gasoline under control. Um, people, there's, people do often wonder, is what's happening right now being done because they're incompetent? And Biden really doesn't believe that, you know, spending the nine trillion, one point nine trillion dollar spending package isn't what inflated the economy or is what they're doing on purpose. And when Biden says we're going through, an, a, you know, an extraordinary transition and uh, Pete Buttigieg, excuse me, is saying, you know, hey, this is a way we're going to tr- we have to get off. You know, we have to choke people out of uh, fossil fuels. And so when the when the administration takes an action like this, you have to raise your eyebrows and go, huh. So, you know, you're letting gas prices run amok and you're not you're not drilling on new leases. You're not letting federal lands drill or offshore. But now you're using, you know, something that is rare and should be only used for, you know, emergencies and catastrophes like covid was for simple things. You're now redefining what an emergency is. And we've said that with climate. It's their biggest thing. If, if you just tell people we have 12 years left unless we fix this, then, you know, I, I can justify anything as, an exe- as a governing executive. Um, I, I don't think it's going to do anything. And I think Stoller's calls for this being illegal are going to fall on deaf ears. Um, so we'll see. But yeah, it's another one of these actions where you, you just look at it and go, why are they doing this now? And it, again, it, beg- it begs the question of, uh, is it on purpose or are they just incompetent? So. 
Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I, I completely agree on that. And I I honestly can't tell. I've, I've been working with renewables and all types of energy for a while. And, like, honestly, like, if they didn't do this, there's so many solar projects that wouldn't be built. But, like, I'm about to basically have a come-to-Jesus call with some environmentalists soon, here soon where, like, this is all fun and games now. And sure, you just save solar for two years. But just wait until President Ron DeSantis uses the Defense Production Act to build more coal plants to sustain uh, grid reliability. So. Right. They don't They don't think that way. You know, wait until he uses it to, you know, in emer- because gas prices when he's sworn in are, six, you know, $6 a gallon and, and he uses it to open up drilling. They don't think of that. They don't think in terms of that. Uh, they think in terms of we're, we're going to be in charge and while we have power, we should use it. Well, we're going to use that against you next time. And you're not going to be in power probably for another, you know, enjoy your five months left. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Definitely. Yeah, I'll, pa- I'll pass it off to, uh, to the other people. Great. I know we've got another liberal journalist, uh, Shiraj Hasimi, waiting up. So I don't want to take more of his oh, time. Yeah. Yeah, I don't. I don't. Uh, he just put a blast out on Twitter, inshallah. Uh, prison, <laughs> prison Mitch. Uh, thanks, John. Prison Mitch, give, I know you. I know you're going to have some good insights on all of this, and I know you're enjoying it. So hit me. Yeah, no, I, I am enjoying it. I, I do feel bad for Weigel just for the fact that it was actually a funny joke. Uh, I don't feel bad for him, and and I can tell you right now, there's already people digging through his old tweets, and there's some other jokes that are already popping up that I'm seeing in in our chat rooms. It, and that, it won't it are- won't even be tweets. It will be what he fades or what you like. Like yes. this, this is. I think somebody said this. Like we're we're two months away from a journalist getting fired because of a like, and it, like it's it's lunacy. It's pure lunacy. But that's where we are. Yeah, and it uh, it cracks me up just uh, thinking. You know, back in the day, you've got wartime journalists and you know people taking down you know the president of the United States, and and we're at this point in our 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 time where where journalists are are kind of complaining and 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 asking people to to take down retweets because they were, you know, an offensive there, joke. And there has that's been, where we're at. There's been almost over, I think, over a dozen journalists shot and killed in Mexico this year uh, for covering their beat. We obviously know about several journalists killed in Ukraine. And, you know, whenever this happens, you just, you have to ask, are you guys firefighters? Remember, you guys compared yourself to firefighters. You run to a story like a firefighter running into a burning building um, or, or, can you not tolerate a retweet of a joke on someone's personal Twitter feed? And I mean, I see this comparison made a lot and I think that this is true. And I think it was Noam Blommer was Neon Taster on Twitter who said that what Twitter has revealed, especially with journalists is they're both, at t- they're both simultaneously trying to push their work through their outlets. So if you're watching post report, but they're also simultaneously trying to do their own branding. And in that way, this is how journalists have kind of in their minds become celebrities is through social media. Um, Taylor Lorenz believes that she's an Internet celebrity and a brand before she is a ethical journalist, 100 percent. Yeah, as far as Taylor Lorenz, I guess I don't uh, I mean, I know of her from New York Times and she was garbage there. She's kind of garbage now. I don't understand her power and her popularity, you know, with with these organizations. Yeah, I, you know, this is, this is something that's come up. I think, and Lorenz has a point on this, that a lot of people who run newsrooms, Washington Post, New York Times, are not familiar with how internet culture works. I think she's right about that. 
So somehow a 47-year-old reporter has managed to convince them that she is the one in touch with the future. She's the kind of the conduit to, you know, TikTok influencers, YouTube people, um, people on Instagram. And she she might be for for a short time, but eventually people are going to stop talking to her because whenever she writes a story – uh, where someone is the topic, it's her training her guns on them. It's her using her byline as a weapon against them. And I think before too long, I mean, that's that's going to spread through those places where YouTubers aren't going to talk to her and people on TikTok aren't going to talk to her. And so she's going to just continuously use this focus. I think it's because, you know, people ask how the fuck did, you know, Theranos and Elizabeth Holmes manage to con so many people? Well, because what she said sounded good. And I think that there's part of that with Lorenz. And, of course, both of those people are sociopaths. Um, and so she's probably very good at pitching that she knows what she's talking about. And I think she's she's right on that. I think you have old, old kind of club newsroom dudes in charge of these places, and they're outdated and they're ill-equipped for what the future of media is. I, do, I think she's right on that. I think she deserves credit for pointing that out. Um, but again, her thinking that she's the one to do this is going to get old real fast when, you know, you're writing pieces that, you know, uh, with the Johnny, the the Johnny Depp thing was fascinating because these two people said the way they were framed in the story was pro Johnny Depp. And they, and they went through and said, we're not pro Johnny Depp. And she's, and if you've looked at our YouTube channels, we've been doing, you know, commentary on trials for years and then Taylor Lorenz just kind of waltzes in, points her finger, makes an accusation, then says, uh, "Then says I tried to contact them, but I didn't get a response, which is, again, a fabrication and something that any journalist used to be fired for. Um, I made the joke about Shattered Glass, and for anyone who hasn't seen that movie, uh, it's, I would say it's probably one of the best movies about what journalism is. It's, it's not the best movie about journalism. That is uh, Superman from 1978. Um, but I, I linked to a scene in that where, uh, Stephen Glass is kind of melted down and he's crying and, and Anakin is, you know, weeping and he, you know, he says, you know, he makes, he finally admits to, uh, Peter, Peter Skarsgård, who was, or I'm sorry, Stellan Skarsgård, who was, um, Chuck Lane. For those of you who know Chuck Lane from the Washington Post, he was the editor of the New Republic who fired Stephen Glass and, he just, Stephen Glass has given him this whole story about that was my brother. They just stopped talking to me when the story went out. And it's like, there's so many parallels. And Chuck Lane just looks at him and goes, you're fired. Like, you're fired. And then Stephen Glass starts pleading with him. I, I'm going to hurt myself. I don't know what I'm going to do. And that is exactly the kind of act Taylor Lorenz puts on. It's, it's fucking freaky. And if this was journalism today, that scene in the movie would not be, you're fucking fired, Steve. It would be, okay, come here. Don't make a scene. Don't go to Twitter. We'll hug this out. We'll work this out. I'm sorry I microaggressed you. And that's where that's where it would be today when, again, if your reporters are caught fabricating, um, you fire them or suspend them if it's once. Uh, but this continuously happens with the same reporter over and over and over again. Um, someone noted, I can't name a single story that Felicia Sumnez has written. Every time that she makes news, it's because of situations like this. And again, um, the Washington Post should have fired her when she leaked company emails to the Daily Beast. They should have said, you're fired. But they didn't. And now they have a problem on their hands and they deserve it. 
Yeah. Hey, I uh, appreciate you uh, giving me the chance to talk and uh, I'll bow down so uh, you can let Siraj talk for Pride Month as, uh, and we can insult him <laughs> on multiple mediums now. Yeah, Thanks. great. I'm not going to, I'm not going to have Siraj talk. Is he back there? Hold on. Yeah. Oh, fuck. He is. Uh, all right. I guess we'll just get through this. Uh, Joseph, give me your thoughts on this. One of my, one of my long timers. Uh, like I said, uh, we're plowing through here, so make, make it pithy and, uh, give me your thoughts on what you witnessed this weekend. Uh, real, real quick. I did see the joke before the, the tweet before, like the whole Weigel Buraha and I did retweet it cause I thought it was funny, but my real quick thoughts is that I have no sympathy for anyone involved in this storyline. I think more importantly, even though it's bullshit that he's suspended for it, Dave Waggle should eat some shit for it. Since, like, he's, like, was the wannabe Chapel bro, and also that, like, he's one of those people that decries that, like, oh, cancer culture's not real or whatever. But, um, really quick, talking about Shattered Glass, I did watch that movie um, in my uh, Running Across Media uh, class, I think, in, like, in the fall of, like, 2020 or whatever and i found it to be a fascinating movie not the best movie ever made but like it's a very like fascinating film kind of about like the practices of journalism yeah i mean it goes into one one of the fascinating things about it is when he's he's talking to kind of an imaginary class and he says the the loophole in journalism is everything your editors look at is based on your own notes in your own story. So they have no real way to confirm anything unless they go through and line by line check. And they just don't do that because of deadlines. And that's what I meant about when Lorenz put in the, put in her story that she not, neither of these two people uh, responded when we reached out for comment. And like I said, I think that that's something that she thought was just, was going to be a throwaway. Um, because how do you, how do you check that? If you're an editor, do you say, you know, Hey, I need to see the email. Um, she said that she reached out on Instagram and there was a journalism professor, I think from Penn state who I noted on Twitter said that you do, you absolutely don't do this. You, you reach out by phone or by email. Um, this idea that you get a hold of someone on Instagram is sloppy and it leaves yourself open to these things. And, and of course, this is when both, both subjects, both, people on YouTube said she didn't actually do it. And here's the email. And they showed the email of Lorenz saying, Hey, I just need to try and get your comment. Um, because right now we have you, you know, listed saying this, this, and this. And they said, well, one, you didn't, they didn't try to contact me Two, This is inaccurate. It was based on someone else's inaccurate reporting. And so again, people aren't calling this what it was, which was a fabrication. She put she put in a fabricated piece of material in a story that was kind of meant to be a hit piece that people she didn't agree with. Um, and it's beyond it's, this goes beyond sloppy generalizations like when she uses terms like the far right. Um, this is this is inexcusable. I could I you know, I'm not, you know, a typical journal reporter, um, but I still know that there are standards and practices in this industry that you have to do if I write a piece. And I submit it to an editor there. They ask me, OK, is this sourced here? Is this and I have to be able to produce that. And that's that was what was interesting about to me. Shattered Glass, as he says, everything that is checked, the fact checkers just simply look at my notes. They don't actually dig into this stuff. Um, and I mean, the other thing about Shattered Glass is it's just it's it's a very subdued film. It's it's just acting. It's, you know, 
trying to get to the bottom of this, of you know, all of these fabrications that Stephen Glass made. And it's just, it's a very methodical film. And it's just how he just kind of breaks down throughout the entire movie. Um, and it's a better Star Wars movie than any of the prequels. <laughs> um, a real quick note is that like, even in my writing across media class, I think I've, I think I've like told you this before in a Patreon comment is that like, when I was taking that class and I'm reading like, you know, the AP handbook, I kind of got a little bit angry by because like i'm reading these rules of like ethics of journalism like you're saying and i'm like i'm seeing these people continuously even like throughout 2020 and into the next year like violate these rules again and again and there seems to be like very little like accountability going on so it just like makes you pull your hair out and just say like where's like where the fuck is the accountability like why aren't people why are more people getting fired for their malfeasance and shit yeah, I mean, I, like I said, I think that is because mainly um, they look at that as if they fire if they fire a report at the Washington Post, they're going to get dunked on by Tucker Carlson or Fox News or assholes like me, and they don't want that. They do not want to give Tucker Carlson a scalp. They don't want to give Donald Trump a scalp, which is why you know for all the misreporting that happened during his term. Um, and just plain bad reporting that happened during this term, you saw very few journalists fired. I think maybe the only person fired in that entire time was Chris Cuomo. Um, and that was just last year. So that's what I think. They, they, they viewed their journalism now through an ideological political lens. The Washington Post is not a newspaper anymore. It is a PR shop largely to advance the ideas of the Democratic Party and the progressive left. Um, we just saw today New York Mag basically say that the reason why, you know, Tessa Boudin is being chased out of San Francisco is because it's Republicans. And you sit there and, and it's like <laughs> your eyes fall out of your head. You just go, how do these people fucking believe this? There hasn't been a Republican in control of San Francisco in 60 years. And they, they, they quantify that by saying, oh, well, that's because the, the Republicans didn't go with the, with the new deal. Uh, and therefore they didn't create a working class base. Well, Look at every fucking city having problems right now that's skyrocketing crime. Philadelphia hasn't had a Republican in charge since the 1940s. Chicago, the 1920s. St. Louis, the 1920s. Baltimore, 1930s. And you just, yeah, you, you just say, you just, you want to pull your hair out because it is the abject denial of reality. And this is why, you know, they use the terms your truth and our truth. Well, that's your truth. And you're just not adding context. And this is disinformation. It's they're creating an entire encyclopedia of basic wokeness and, you know, that they're evolving on college campuses and then they get into the real world. And you find out that, you know, like I said, older editors think that they wield power on social media. So it's like, no, 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 Taylor, no, 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 no. Okay. You win, you win, you win. We'll just issue a correction as opposed to going, okay, did you or did you not reach out to these people for a comment like you wrote? I didn't. Okay, you're fucking suspended for three weeks. That, and, and they look at that as if they do that, that legitimizes you know, people's criticism of them. And that's all it is. They do not want to give the political right a scalp, as opposed to saying, you know, let's just eat shit on this and move on and just do better, which is how they should be treating these things. Yeah, though, um, I think what's interesting, too, is that she went, like, after, like, two, two YouTubers that are, like, not that relatively, like, known either. And I, I did, like, take, a, like, a quick little, um, look at their accounts. And, like, yes, they're pretty much, like, very anti-woke. And I pretty much, like, done, like, extensive, like, shows talking about, like, the Amber Heard and, like, Johnny Depp, like, 
So, uh, but what many of these people fail to realize too is that like, there's even people that are like extremely like left wing that were pretty much like pro Johnny Depp. So like, this kind of like weird fascination to just chuck up chuck the Amber Heard outrage, just more or less like alt right Gamergate nonsense. It's just like, it's just like absurd to me. Yeah, I, yeah, I don't, I don't, I don't get it either. Uh, Joseph, I'm going to move on. Thanks. For, good to hear from you. Cheers. Thank you. Uh, going up to Elizabeth, we're just going to plow through everybody here and hopefully, uh, so Elizabeth and Raphael can take 20 minutes and that way we, we don't have to hear from Siraj. Um, go ahead, Elizabeth, <laughs> give me your thoughts on anything hey, you've seen or what we're talking about. Thanks for having me up. And, um, I'll tell you, I, I, I don't know a lot about journalism except that I know the difference between good journalism and bad journalism. Um, and interestingly, you know, the, the whole juvenile aspect of this is just amazing to me. I'm 58, and so, you know, I've, I've been around the block. And a, a couple of the uh, tweets that I saw that were just really good in summing up this whole thing was uh, the one by Glenn Greenwald where he mentions weekend drama at Robin D'Angelo Jr. High, which I thought was hilarious. And by the way, I, I thought the retweet by Weigel, who I have no respect for, I, I thought that joke was pretty friggin' funny. But um, and then yeah, Chuck Rock, I said, Chuck- yeah, real real fast. I just want to jump in. Um, that I said that as well. I said that they, these people talk. You know, when when Jose Del Rio said, you know, I for one am proud to work at a at a place that is you know, committed to dismantling the systems of oppression, racism, and homophobia. I'm like, you work at a newspaper. Like, like uh, he, you're right. He's talking like a Robin DiAngelo cultist, like these people have been force-fed Ibram Kendi. And I thought that tweet in and of itself was so revealing about what these people think their job is. Now, I'm not saying that when those opportunities present themselves, you do write a story, you know, about cases of homophobia or racism or anything. But this kind of stuff seems to me that you're searching for it. And when you get your entire industry dictated by this, this kind of, you know, Robin DiAngeloism, um, it leads obviously nowhere good. Um, so I didn't mean to interrupt you, but go ahead. I mean, you're right when, when Greenwald pointed that out, but a few people pointed that out, that just the way they talk is – it's it's odd for people who that are supposed to kind of be in defense of First Amendment and uh, brave, fearless journalism, as opposed to people who have a narrative, they've decided on a narrative, they've decided the conclusion their story is going to reach, and they decided already how they're going to write it. Yeah, I, exactly. yeah I didn't mean to interrupt you. Keep, go, go ahead, Elizabeth. That's, a, that's okay. I, and the only other one I wanted to mention, because this, this just really struck me, was uh, a tweet by Chuck Ross where he says adults confront their coworkers directly and offline when they disagree. Children lash out about it on social media. And this is just so true. I mean, what happened to picking up the damn phone and calling somebody and say, you know, that was really hurtful what you did or whatever. But no, they have to like make it all about them and all about their heart and everything. It's just it's hilarious and it's so juvenile. And I think this is just where we are. Yeah, a couple, you know, a couple things that are interesting is now, <laughs> as I as I'm listening and as I'm talking and I and I have my feet up in front of me, uh, they're going through and finding Dave's old tweets. I, I don't think I don't think he's actually going to be suspended. I think they're going to fire him, um, just based on the old tweet, you know, 
bringing, bringing up. Um, I noted one from Somnes uh, that I found or that someone sent to me because I'm blocked, of course. This is interesting to me. This is from January 24th, 2021. This is Felicia Sanmez uh, defending uh, either a coworker or someone in a tweet. It says, if a tweet truly crosses the line, it should lead to a discussion with editors, not a scramble to fire the writer due to fear. The person most harmed in this case, obviously, is Wolf321, whoever that is. But every time a news organization caves to an online harassment campaign, we're all less safe. I, I guess by definition, her own definition, Felicia Samnez has made the Washington Post a less safe. And this also, this is part of the language they use. Uh, whenever you criticize Taylor Lorenz's work, it's automatically a few things. It's a harassment campaign. It is also dangerous and it makes them unsafe. And they all use this exact same language. Um, and you saw that this is how uh, Lorenz uh, deflected and defended her shitty reporting uh, where again she she made she had clear published fabrications in her reporting. Um, they always use the same language that this makes us unsafe, and we saw that language used with the Tom Cotton op-ed uh, when he said send in the troops, and the New York Times threw a fucking hissy fit in the Slack channels. Um, anyway, that's just another another remark on that. Very good. Well, thanks for having me up, Stephen. I'll pass the mic over to thanks, someone th else and enjoy. Thanks for interrupting. Thanks show. for interrupting the sausage party. Uh, Raphael, good to see you again. Raphael, do you still only have a single entrance door on your school? Just, I want to make sure because I was accused of making that up. No, that is, that is still true. That is still true. And I should send you a picture of it so you know, just so you can uh, that is, Yeah, that's, that's, yeah. Still true. I think you missed that one where I was accused of making that entire call and episode up. It was good stuff. <laughs> that's that really is unbelievable. I mean, you could freak. You could. It's called Newcomb Academy. You could Google it and see the front end. No, no, I believe so you. I believe you. I don't need to do that. <laughs> no, I just you know, I'm just saying the journalists like they could just you know they could just Google they could just Google the names of these schools. But um, the what the one thing I, that I wanted to uh, talk about that maybe I have a little bit of unique insight is I'm I'm actually a labor and employment lawyer uh, doing defense side work. So what the way Felicia Sumnes is, is acting is not surprising to me at all. Um, because one of the things that folks don't necessarily realize is that, you know, even if your initial claim lacks merit, if you can conjure up a claim that you were retaliated for filing it, it doesn't matter that the underlying claim lacked merit. So here, her initial claim that she was subject to discrimination for being taken off of, I guess, sexual assaults or sexual harassment stories, um, failed. But if she could, you know, conjure up a notion that she was retaliated against for filing that lawsuit, right? She could still pursue that, and also, right? That's that was my that was my suggestion. So, thank you for confirming that I have a good that's, big that's brain. Exa that's exactly um, what she's doing. Where she's also, basically trying. She's not necessarily trying to get fired, but if she can make life difficult uh, for people at the Washington Post, they she kind of knows that she is protected from that because if they reprimand her, she can say, "Oh, see, see, this is retaliation for my lawsuit." And this is all. I mean, the Washington Post deserves all of this for not firing her. Well, good job, guys. Yeah, I mean, that's exactly right. And also, I mean, she straight out said it in one of her tweets, you know, you know, I'm hoping they don't retaliate against someone who claim, who, who complains about gender bias, you know, in the industry, that type of thing. So she's, I'm sure she's getting, she's getting her advice from her lawyers. And the way it, it, I think it relates to Taylor Lorenz is that, you know, where the Washington Post is in a tough position, again, I don't feel bad for them, don't get me wrong, is... Just the, the the optics. If let's just say they fired them both today, 
what are the optics of that? They'll both be able to play off of each other and say, look, the Washington Post, you fired two female reporters, right? That shows that they've seriously, they've got a serious problem, right? Um, whereas, you know, the aggressive, the, the aggressive approach, you know, if they were getting, if they're getting, in my view, good advice from an experienced labor and employment lawyer is fire all three, fire, fire David, fire Taylor and fire her. And then, you know, it's kind of hard to argue that there was gender discrimination if you fired the guy too, right? Because they can, they can, they can argue that her response to the tweet was inappropriate. That would right? just be violence. That would be violence toward her if you did that, <laughs> yeah. Raphael. <laughs> right. That's fair enough. Fair enough. But yeah, again, I think just you know, so she's she's clear. I mean, she's 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 using a playbook that I've seen so many times before. Now, granted, not necessarily in this much of a public forum, and you know, and the, what the Washington Post is probably getting advised on is the amount of legal fees that they would have to spend you know, defending against subsequent litigation because she already appealed the dismissal of her, of her current lawsuit. And I can, so I can guarantee you the Washington Post is probably already a couple hundred thousand dollars in in legal fees. And they don't, and they don't want to, you know, they don't want to double or triple that, you know, by creating or, you know, recreating a retaliation cause of action for her that she could, that she can pursue. Yeah. I mean, for people like me who just go, how, how is this, acceptable at any job, like just doing calling out colleagues in public and stuff like this, um, regardless of how entertaining it is, um, how, how, what, in, what, you know, enables or what power does she have? And I think that's different than Lorenz because Lorenz isn't obviously wrapped up in lawsuits or anything like that. Um, but with Somnes, to me, that's, that's to me the most logical conclusion here. She just knows, you know what, if you guys reprimand or suspend me over my behavior towards these colleagues, um, I, I'm just, I have a legal team just ready and waiting. And yeah, the Washington Post is just like, um, how much is it going to cost us to just make you go the fuck away? Um, and I don't, I, I honestly don't know what the allure, what the appeal is for Lorenz personally, which again, I think is a bigger scandal. I made the joke that my theory is that Somnes and, and Weigel, uh, staged all of this as kayfabe to get the attention off the fact that, you know, their star tech reporter was fabricating parts of a story. Um, cause nobody's really talking about that. And I still, I still submit that it's the bigger, at least journalistically, it's still the bigger scandal and it shouldn't go away. She should be made answer for this stuff. And like I said, she can just say, Oh, it's my editors. It was, they, they're the ones that did that. Well, if you're calling out your editor, you know, these editors have reputations they care about too. Maybe, maybe they don't. <laughs> maybe, maybe I'm wrong about that. So I, I look at this and I go, how is it that Lorenz can say, well, this is my editor's fault. They did this. They inserted that line. It was just a miscommunication. Well, it's not just inserting a line here. Okay. This is a fundamental part of journalism, which is either you contacted someone or you didn't. And if you publish that you did and you didn't, then that's actually a pretty big deal. And I don't think that that falls to the editor anyway. Um, I, like I said, I still think that that's the bigger scandal, but, um, this one is, is certainly because of the suspension over the retweet, but it does, it does shine a light on what priorities the, the Washington Post has. Um, you can fabricate parts of a story. You can continuously get facts wrong that have to continuously have to have corrections added to them. And you, you are left alone. If you do a retweet of a, you know, a, an off color joke, which I don't even think it's off color. Um, then you get a suspension for a week. This is the this is the bat signal going out loud and clear to everyone at the Washington Post and, and other places. Yeah, and I'll just uh, two more quick points, and then I'll, uh, I'll I'll pass it on. You know, what, the one thing that I think was revealing about Taylor Lorenz, you know, you know, sort of defense is that 
She didn't say, I never told my editors that I called and checked for comments. She said there was a miscommunication. And there's so much elasticity to that word, a miscommunication. Because if she, because if that just, if she never told them that, she would have just straight out said that. I never told them that I reached out to these two bozos for comment, right? But she did, she's never said that. She says it's it's a quote unquote miscommunication, whatever the heck that means. Yeah, and she, you know, she says she, in her own admission, um, she, when she pinned her tweet, it turned out that that was wrong. And even the Washington Post, uh, in their correction, noted, you know, she complete she directly contradicts the correction in the Washington Post, and the Washington Post has refused uh, a statement to anyone who's asked about this. Of course, like you said, Fox News asked about it. Um, she had a back and forth with Brian Stelter and Oliver Darcy, you know, and she accused Oliver Darcy of being a right wing spreader of misinformation. And again, you just have to fucking laugh at that and how ludicrous that accusation has to be. Um, and she does this wherever she goes, where the, she, the people who defend her and her shoddy work end up getting the blunt of her ire. Eventually Brian Stelter has been very sympathetic to her and has excused some of her errors in the past. And when he tried to clear up the timeline, uh, she said, Brian just doesn't care about this. He knows. And it's like, that's how sociopaths behave. If you draw their, you know, you can defend them all you want. And then we saw this with Somnes and, and Weigel. Weigel was a signatory on the note when Somnes was suspended or when she was moved off. She was told she couldn't tweet anymore about sexual assault or whatever. Weigel, you know, co-signed a note supporting her. Um, he, he had a byline with her and she said, Dave is one of my friends. Uh, she said in a tweet, I really, I have long considered Dave a good friend as well. It's painful and confusing when friends say and do things that are wrong and makes it all the more uncomfortable to call them out, even though it's necessary to do so. She talks like a fucking sociopath. Yeah. And so it's, that's what they do. It doesn't all, all, all like Dave Weigel exists to, to Felicia Sumnez is until she is done with him like i don't need you in my life anymore and we saw that with taylor lorenz in the new york times she flamed out at the new york times and burned all of her colleagues and that's why you see a considerable lack of new york times reporters defending taylor lorenz over her shitty reporting they just don't speak out about it because it's like why why you know why do we need this kind of drama so yeah i mean you have Dave Weigel defending Felicia Sumnaz, and it didn't matter. She still just went apeshit on Twitter for four days, and now he's suspended, and I, I think he, they're going to fire him now that all of you know the, the shit posters on the right, who we don't have rules, we don't care about this stuff, um, they're going to go find all the other tweets, and you know maybe he goes to real Daily Wire. I don't know. Maybe Shapiro scoops him up. Yeah, and then the last, last point I was going to make, and this is another legal point, is in case people are wondering why the editors uh, – you know, internal email that got leaked that said, said, just be kinder to each other, et cetera, but didn't say stop talking shit about each other on Twitter is because I, and I know the district of Columbia has a, uh, has a statute on this is that employees are by statute are allowed to discuss and complain about their working conditions. And it's also a protection under the national labor relations act. And so that's why it was worded that way because oh, good. They, so if they had specifically instructed them knock it off, knock off the public, bashing of each other, then she would have said, you're violating the National Labor Relations Act, you're violating <laughs> the, D- the D.C. Human Rights Law, which allows me to discuss my working conditions. Uh, so that's why it was worded. It's wonderful. As, it's wonderful. So, so, I mean, just based on my experience, that, that editor's email was, was, was written by lawyers. I can just tell you that. I mean, I don't know 100%, but, you know, based on my experience, 
that thing was that, that thing was laundered by their outside counsel. I can guarantee you that. Yeah, that, yeah, that, that's I didn't know that, so that's great. And uh, of course, thank you, thank you, wonderful union labor laws. Aren't they great? <laughs> Indeed. Uh, thanks, <laughs> thanks, Raphael. I take care. Uh, I'm gonna wrap up here. Uh, I know it's short and it's a hard out. I'm I'm sorry, Ethan, Andrew, Christian, um, and uh, we're gonna we're gonna wrap up with Siraj. Uh, don't worry. That's like my nine 11, uh, question for Siraj, um, white women journalists are the new Islamic radicalists. Sorry, Steve, you cut off there. White women are the new white, white female journalists are the new radical Islamists. Um, I would rate that as out of 72 virgins. I give this 69. Uh, of course, you and the reason I say that is because uh, every day is nine eleven for a cis white male journalist. Today, today was certainly today was certainly Dave, Dave Weigel's nine eleven. I think we can all agree. It really was, and the reason, actually, you know, what's interesting about this, uh, Stephen, is that when it comes to this particular issue, I have firsthand knowledge of this because. I got swept in it one time as well. And you may remember back in 2018 when Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez was elected to Congress and uh, my uh, old colleague over at the Washington Examiner, Eddie Scary, tweeted out a photo that was sent to him by someone in, in Capitol Hill uh, basically saying, like, uh, the, the, the clothes she was wearing, like, you know, that doesn't look like someone who struggles. And so, like, this dude got ratioed into oblivion. And I even, I tried to, like, stay clear of it. But eventually, I sort of, I succumbed and and and, and kind of, like, put out a little subtweet of it. And, of course, like, that got handled internally at the examiner. Luckily, I had, uh, like, Eddie and I cleared cleared the air. And we're, we, we're still good. Uh, so there are no issues there. And I, you know, I apologize for not like, uh, talking to him directly, but like, yeah, that it kind of stems from this whole idea that journalists by and large, as you said earlier, are trying to build a brand. And the only way of really doing that is getting those, that sweet, sweet dopamine hit of a viral tweet and basically getting that cable news contract and it is very, very tempting and difficult to not resist. So uh, what we're seeing here with, uh, at least with like Taylor Lorenz, for sure. I know the Felicia Sama's uh, case is a little bit different as obviously a number of your guests have, uh, have, iterate, have, have basically explained that it's kind of serving as protection. But Taylor Lorenz is, is a different case. I mean, she knows. I feel like she knows what she's doing. When you say she knows what she's doing, um, so as someone who, I mean, you you used to be a filthy journal, um, yeah. Be, before you before you converted completely over to terrorism, uh, before um, I learned to code. <laughs> so, would you agree with my assessment that she, this isn't a? She's not lying. She fabricated. She fabricated a piece of a story where she said, "I reached out for comment," and then the two people went, "No, you didn't," and they basically thought nobody would catch this because it's one of those mundane things you put every journalist puts in a story, which is we reached out for comment to Siraj and we could not get a hold of him or no, or whatever. And <laughs> we I, reached I out he, to his burner phone and the car exploded. 
Right. <laughs> There's a phone ringing. Um, you know, I, God, I said, and I even said something like, um, I said something like at least the Charlie Hebdo dudes went out with their, you know, their heads held high because of this idea that the Washington Post is just being held hostage by terrorists right now. And, and I made the comment that, you know, no offense, even though, you you know, we're all Zeshwi Charlie still, Siraj, I'm sorry. But and I said, you know, at least the Charlie Hebdo dudes went out on their feet. You know, it, this is yeah. insane to me. And. When you say that she knows what she's doing, elaborate on that for me. You have a, you have a couple of minutes, and um, yeah. When, when you say that she knows what she's doing, I mean, obviously, because I said she's a sociopath, because she is. Of course, she does. Uh, do you mean like the playbook that she issues, which is shitty reporting, people criticize, and then it's the same thing every time? It's a right wing smear campaign. It's disinformation without context. Oh, and you're putting my life in danger. I think, uh, you know, I don't know about the journalism aspect in which her, her reporting is intentionally shitty or if it's just her being lazy and it's a matter of incompetence. But I, obviously, all of the uh, the aftermath of that and when it gets called out, that is definitely by design. She knows that when she's victimized, it helps her. I mean, shit, she just got a whole like segment on NBC News about how she gets harassed and bullied uh, online all the time, which, which they had to delete because when people started making fun of it, and this is what I think it all boils down to. It, it's Nina Jankowicz, it's Taylor Lorenz, it's Felicia Sumner's is you're not allowed to make fun of me when that's right. pretty much the only reason the internet exists is to make fun of people. I get shit every, every fucking day. Everyone gets shit about it. Um, Hold and, on, Steve. No one gets more shit than me, though. Let's be real. Yeah, but you kind of deserve it. I mean, I know I do. Look, <laughs> I mean, I mean, there was a point there when you looked at Southern Lower Manhattan and there was nothing there, so you kind of <laughs> earned that for a bit. Um, but so you know, you're, this was a good point of what I was talking about about even people who defend Taylor Renz sits down and she does this whole segment and then she's like horrifying. <laughs> And everyone watches this and goes, oh, my God, she's crazy. And like uniformly. And as soon as the reaction to that video came out, she then said, oh, God, this isn't going as planned. She got MSNBC to remove the video. And she said that, see, MSNBC, the way they presented this is harassment. The way they're doing this shows they don't understand. And so, yeah, it's textbook where, remember, they gave her a sympathetic segment and then it was because it made her it made her look crazy, frankly, it was, oh, shit. And uh, so then the blame was now on MSNBC for portraying her that way when, no, you're the problem. You come off nuts in that. Yeah, I think I tweeted something. I mean, th- this is a great quote. Uh, I've heard it time and time again. If you run into an asshole in the morning, you run into an asshole. If you run into an a- if you run into assholes all day. You're the asshole. What happens if you run into a building in the morning, Sirach? Uh Then um, we will remember it uh, and never forget. Uh, do, you, do you have any? Do you have any finishing things here on this? As someone from experience, do you want to take us home here? Yeah, you know, it's do you want to try and land the plane for? I change? will try to. You know, for the first time in my life, I'm going to try to land this plane, Stephen. And one thing I will say is. Uh, I'm just waiting for the take in which someone says, you know, this is what happens when when President Trump is no longer in office, is that people literally try to just find another villain. It's like if if God didn't exist, we'd have to create him because there's no one else to fight.
that's where I lead. Yeah, it. it's it's there is a there is an aspect of of roaming the countryside and shooting the survivors. Right. And you know, I noted that you know they found that they found that main character. I think it's that quote. You know, the goal. I think it's Ricky Gervais said the goal of Twitter is to never. There's always a main character every day. There's a main character of Twitter, and the goal is to not be that person. And, right. um, you know, I noted that the closest they've come to replacing Trump was Elon Musk. I haven't seen such a fucking focus on one person for so like so who is the sole focus of social media for, you know, for that two week period than Elon Musk and everything he tweeted. Every person was responding to it. Just every yeah. single thing that he tweeted, you had uh, every single journalist or uh, person with a blue check or whatever was responding to what Elon Musk was going to tweet. And you're right. We haven't had that since Trump. Since since Trump has gone away and he got kicked off and he's doing now like true social whatever, there isn't, there hasn't been that uniform obsession with anything. So, yeah, you do get this atmosphere of, like I said, you know, wandering the countryside and shooting survivors. Um, I, I had a little bit of that when I wrote a piece stating, you know, Ukraine is the first social media war. It's oh, yeah. <laughs> it's the first war that is being like directed by social media where Ukraine is using it and Russia's using it to talk back and Ukraine saying, Hey, fuck you, you know? And I got pushback. Like I had enormous pushback on that. Like I wasn't even expecting it. Like it was one of my tamer pieces. And I was also correct by people calling me racist because it was actually Syria. And I'm like, well, no, tweeting about something doesn't mean it's a social media war. It's the atmosphere around it. It's the states tweeting at each other and it's um, using, using Twitter and using social media to coordinate things. And I thought that that was the reaction to that was completely insane. Um, But that was kind of the last time that I've experienced that. Obviously I had it with the Wonder Woman thing. Um, And as I've said, kind of with Twitter or just shit posting in general, and you can verify this is, you know, your, your goal is to cause the maximum amount of damage with the minimal amount of effort. So that's you know, literally I, shit posting. I mean, it's, it, it's, and I guess Weigel, congratulations. All he did is retweet. It wasn't even his tweet. Insane. And so it's, it's crazy. Um, this, the dude who made the joke is just taking victory laps on Twitter right now. He's a libertarian guy. Um, I think his name's Cam Hamless. And he is just going, he's just going, you guys are arguing on Twitter and I just took out a journal. <laughs> his name is the guy, his, his Twitter banner is now him. Smi- you know, the little girl smiling at the burning house. <laughs> his Twitter, his new Twitter banner is him smiling, and he has the Washington Post over the burning house. That's beautiful. And I just yeah, gotta he, say, like, imagine he's, having he's that taken, power. he's taken, he has taken a, uh, he has taken a complete victory lap over this. Um, May Allah bless him. Yeah, no, he's he he literally he can't believe it, and, and this was going back to when it happened. Um, so, and he's self retweeting it. I retweeted it and made a joke, and now it's being accused of becoming a right wing meme. Hell and, yeah. you know, this is the kind of thing you think people at the Washington Post or people like Taylor Lorenz would be able to predict, you know, that of course we're going to use this because we don't have, we don't, we don't have the rules you have. Okay. And we're not bound by any of this stuff. I think I saw. Frank Fleming from Babylon B, when Weigel apologized, he said, come over to the dark side. We have humor and cookies. You know, we like, we like jokes. And that's it. Like, I cannot imagine being a part of that kind of workplace or just that 
social circle where you're yeah. fucking terrified to say anything that, you know, the, the sociopath mean girls table is going to fall out of line with. I just really say, I mean, I'd, I'd end with this and, and I'll, I'll say this and I'll, I'll peace out and, you know, I'll let, I'll let that plan, I'll let that plane taxi its way to the gate. And that is journalists are basically just politicians in training. They will literally sell their firstborn in order to get ahead. And we're kind of seeing that yeah, shit it's happen it's and play Hollywood out right now. Ugly people. And social media has exactly. made these people believe they're important. And they're really not. There was a time when you'd re- you would read a newspaper and you would read the story and there would just be the person's name, right? And social media yeah. changed all of that. And I don't, I don't think it's good or for, you know, better for worse, whatever. It just did to where now these people um, – yeah you really see and for people that are kind of in my job special social media has been so enlightening to who these people are what they believe um and again just how kind of fucking screwed up they are and like i said you know journalists used to just be heavy set dudes you know who smelled like black coffee and tequila and cigarette smoke and now because, largely because of the you know clicks for revenue buzzfeedification of journalism they figured out that their stories drive more engagement if there's a target. And so I don't know. This is this is kind of a teachable moment. We've seen for years uh, rodeo clowns and Obama masks and Justine Sacco and girls who wear kimonos to prom and, you know, guys who raise money for charity who had tweets, bad tweets. And go down the list. Guys who made drunk videos of Nancy Pelosi have all been targets of journalists. Well, you guys are eventually going to run out of targets, and now they're just they're kind of pointing the guns at themselves. Uh, Siraj, thank you. I need you to root for the Colorado Avalanche tonight because they're playing the Edmonton Oilers. Hey, and, I, I, and I the Edmonton them. Oilers knocked out a Muslim player with a dirty hit. It was literally oh. it was literally Islamophobia. Yeah, I will uh, issue a fatwa on them right now. I'll call yeah. up my brothers over in uh, on Thank the other you. side of the planet, and uh, I got your back. Also, Team America over any Canadian team. So. You already yeah. Got my yeah, try to organize some of your, your brothers up in Edmonton to, you know, call in a bomb threat to the arena or something. I don't know. But, yeah, they knocked out Nazim Kadri, who is who, who a Muslim. So I just I, it was a horrific act of Islamophobia that happened on, on broadcast television in an arena full of people. And uh, honestly, the, Steve, the Canadian people is, all cheered when it happened. So honestly, Steve, you know, this is this is Biden's America. Well, okay. and, 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 Biden's, and, and, and Biden's Canada, too. And by this kind of, you never have this happen in Trump's America. You want to know why? No. Because in Trump's America, Islamophobia was so bad they had to invent it. <laughs> okay. Thanks, Siraj. Hi, Steve. You take it easy. All right. Um, again, apologies to, to those to you last year that I had to remove. We just we ran out of time, and I'm over. Um, so yeah, this has been uh, episode 21, Washington Post Elementary School. Um, I don't. I don't think the saga of Samnez and Weigel is over. Um, now we're going to get people jumping into corners. And uh, may I remind you, you don't have to defend any horrible people. Uh, that was a lesson of the Johnny Depp Amber Heard trial. Um, and like I said, uh, I, I wish that the Lorenz thing was a bigger story, but something tells me we're going to be talking about this kind of thing again with her. Um, again, thanks for everyone for joining. Uh, thanks to the people I was able to get in and participate. And again, thank you for the, the legal knowledge and um, especially the praise that my theories with Somnes are correct. So I, I appreciate being told I'm right. Um, I am Stephen L. Miller. This is uh, episode 21. 
and uh, we'll probably do this again uh, probably next Monday. So feel free to jump in and uh, we'll have an open-ended episode where I can hopefully take more callers. But again, thank you to participants and thank you for jumping in and democracy dies in retweets. Uh, I'll see you on Patreon with the podcast tomorrow. Cheers, everyone.